You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Tiffany Manor. It is Mental Health Monday. We are going to continue our conversation on Martin Luther and mental health with Dr. Saunders in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, Dr. Stephen Saunders. He's the Schneider Endowed Distinguished Professor of Psychology at Marquette University and author of Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today from Concordia Publishing House. Dr. Saunders, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. We are glad to have you with us today and continuing our conversation in this series, taking a look at practical advice for Christians, particularly looking at the the wisdom that God gave to Martin Luther during his time and how that is very applicable to what we experience and what we live today. Dr. Saunders is a professional clinical psychologist and very pleased to offer ideas and suggestions about mental health and mental health problems in this series. However, one of the most important pieces of advice he offers is to get professional help when you need it. Nothing said in this episode or in future episodes should be taken as therapy or treatment or a substitute for personal consultation with a professional. So we're going to dig into applying what we've learned. We've talked about changing our thinking, changing our behavior, which impacts our thinking and what we're feeling. And also being a neighbor and having helpful conversations. This this phrase, helpful conversations, comes up several times in your book. What is a helpful conversation? And maybe what isn't it? What is not a helpful conversation? Yeah, it's a it's an important idea. It's an important topic because of course the if if you meet someone in distress almost regardless of the distress, you want to be helpful. Uh, when the distress is emotional or psychological, then, you know, how you help is by having a conversation with them. But again, you want the the conversation to be helpful. Now, I'm, I'm speaking with the three of you, and all of you are sort of professionals at, at interviewing. So... And, and I want to ask the three of you what you what you think a helpful conversation is. But but the point of the, asking you to kind of turn the question around before I answer it is, I believe that almost everyone has the capacity. I also think though that there's somehow this mystique. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. This mystique around mental health problems as if, oh, this should only be handled by a professional. Whereas I'm, I'm a firm belief that everyone is capable of helping someone, of having a helpful conversation with someone in emotional distress. So what do you, what do you guys, what would you guess might be, or, or in your experience, what, what do you think a helpful conversation is? I think active listening is a huge part of that. Being able to actually hear what the person is saying, to hear their story rather than just like trying to solve their problems for them. I guess solving problems is the other part. You don't always have to solve other people's problems in a conversation, especially mm-hmm. if you're not a mental health professional. Uh, a lot of times just being the person that someone can talk to and get stuff out of their head can be helpful to a certain extent. And also listening with empathy. Getting in, getting in the getting in the boat with that person and understanding, or just just being there with that person, taking in what they're saying and being able to kind of hold it with them, I think is is a good thing to be able to do. Yeah, when you asked us that question, Doctor Saunders, I was thinking, oh, how how do I want someone to 
converse with me if I'm feeling emotional distress. And, and it was exactly as Sarah mentioned. I want to be heard, right? I want someone mm-hmm. who's going to listen and not be trying to talk at me, but really hearing what I'm saying, observing and recognizing what I'm feeling and, and you know, being able to, to empathize, to, to, you know, feel the same things I'm feeling, understand what I'm feeling and not someone who's going to cry and brush me along my way or get over feeling badly quickly. Sometimes it, emotions can be messy and people want to tidy it up and cheer you up. That's not always helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if they don't understand what I'm feeling, I, I, and I don't necessarily expect someone to understand fully what I'm feeling, but to acknowledge that it's okay. Sometimes I need to be reminded that it's okay to be feeling what I'm feeling to to have strong emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to have strong emotions. Now, hopefully I can take the time by them listening to maybe understand those a little yeah. and then figure out what I'm going to do with it. And, and, and in, in response to the three of you, all I can say is I'm so glad I wrote the book before you guys had a chance to. Because uh, <laughs> this is exactly what a helpful conversation is, you know, the, Sarah used the term and many probably have heard of it, active listening. Empathy is part of active listening. And we'll get to those, but, you know, we'll, we'll start with, you know, what, what Tiffany brought up, which is that, you know, a helpful conversation is something that you dedicate some time to and that you sort of, you know, you you put your heart into it. You you can't have a helpful conversation unless you are genuinely caring about the other person. And but also, you know, a helpful conversation that's not going to be five minutes after church. That can be helpful, but you know, probably more like you know, twenty, thirty, forty minutes. Just you know, in private. You know, so setting aside the time, finding a private place. And engaging the skills that some people have naturally, some people learn it. They can't, it, it's, it's a skill that we definitely can be taught, which Sarah mentioned, which is active listening. And, you know, active listening is really, you know, it, it is, it's a, it's a strange phrase, right? How can we listen actively? Isn't listening by definition passive? Well, but we've all had the experience of talking to someone and realizing they're not interested. They don't mm-hmm. say anything, but they're, it's clear from their body language, from their nonverbal communication, in other words, from you know where they're looking, that they are really not listening that attentively. Active listening is called that because it's a type of a listening that the listener does, this behaviors that the listener engages in while listening, which encourages the speaker to keep talking, hence active listening. Things like nodding, maintaining eye contact, you know, maybe not staring, but, but looking the person in the eye, smiling gently, repeating back what they said. Someone says, you know, I've been so bothered by, by the situation in my family. And simply say that even if you don't know what the situation is, you can repeat back to them, wow, it sounds like family situation is really distressing you. 
all you've done is repeat back and yet the person knows that you've listened and so then they keep talking and they keep telling you about something. A couple of different mentions of the of the term empathy. Empathy is repeating back or rather striving to understand. Repeating back to someone is a form of empathy, but empathy is really striving to understand and showing that you're trying or that you do maybe understand what someone is thinking and especially what someone is feeling. You don't have to understand to be empathic. Sympathy means feeling. Simpatico means the same. Sympathy means feeling how someone is feeling. If, if I go to the, the, the funeral of a friend's mother, I feel bad. I'm in sympathy with my friend. Empathy is not sympathy. Empathy is rather just simply understanding that someone is depressed. You don't have to agree with why they're depressed. They say to you, I don't think anyone likes me. And you realize, well, that's not true. Lots of people like you. But you, you know, with regard to empathy, it's not necessarily that you understand why the person feels that way. You just understand that the person feels that way. You don't agree. Well, I agree with you. You're not likable. Uh, No wonder you're so sad. You would never say that. Rather, you say, wow, it sounds like you're very sad that this is really bothering you. You you reflect upon, you you share with them what you're what you're hearing, maybe what you're seeing. And okay, so what good does that do? That's a really important question. I'm glad I asked it. What good does that do is it shows the person how I'm feeling feels so strange to me and maybe even shameful to me. And yet, and yet Dr. Manor understands how I'm feeling. And yet Andy and yet Sarah, they understand what I'm going through. Therefore, I might not like it, but at least it's not, it's not, Ununderstandable. It's not that someone cannot understand it, and it makes people feel a lot less strange, weird. Yeah, they they don't. They, they, you know, it helps them to accept what they themselves are feeling. I am depressed, and I don't like feeling depressed. And this person understands I'm depressed, and maybe I should go talk to someone about it. Maybe I should see a doctor about getting help for it. So this is really kind of the essence of, of a helpful conversation with someone in, in emotional distress. So you've described the how of a converse, helpful conversation. What about what's the, the aim or the, the goal of a helpful conversation? The, and that's such a great question. It's a, you know, a helpful conversation is helpful. It's not a great answer. Great question. Lousy answer. But uh, a helpful conversation is helpful. It helps the person, as 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 we just talked about. It might help the person feel a little bit less weird, a little bit less like they, you know, they cannot be understood. It makes them feel less ashamed of how they're feeling. But a helpful conversation also communicates to the person, you know what, this what you're going through is understandable. But it's also something that can be helped by maybe pastor, maybe a mental health professional. And the book tries to distinguish between 
you know, if it's, if it's basically, if it's serious enough, it needs to be handled by someone who's trained in mental health care. But there's so much that just these simple, helpful conversations that we have with our friends and our loved ones and members at our church, helpful conversation between a pastor and a parishioner can do so much to make people feel like, you know, I'm not alone in what I'm going through. It's not weird. It's not so strange what I'm going through, so shameful that no one can understand it. Rather, people can understand it. And that opens the door, hopefully, for them to be willing to get additional help. It is Mental Health Monday. We're discussing Martin Luther on mental health with Dr. Stephen Saunders. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Tiffany Manor. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Tiffany Manor. Before the break, we were talking about helpful conversations. Let's talk for for just a second about what an unhelpful conversation is. Some things to avoid when we're doing unhelpful... <laughs> things to avoid so we don't have unhelpful conversations. Again, let's, you know, you all three, all of us have experienced, you know, someone, you know, turning to someone, confiding in someone and realizing, oh, this was, this is not, not helpful. I'm going to speak for all men, or at least all men who are husbands. We've all been acted like that with our, with our wives. Don't intend to, but we're men. We're not that bright. So, but what, what would you characterize? So I don't want you, either of you to speak for your husbands. We can speak for ourselves, but what do you think, you know, what, what kind of shuts down someone from wanting to keep talking? It's sort of the act, opposite of active listening. Active listening encourages someone to keep talking. Things that are not helpful to have the opposite effect. What's your guys' experience been? Hmm. I would say like, body language will show that they're not listening, that they're not interested. Mm -hmm. And then that just kind of shuts me down. When I talk too much about myself, like, Oh, here's, here's my story. Let's not talk about you anymore. Yeah. Yeah, That's a big one. Someone who starts to sort of monopolize, talk about themselves or deflect to talk about somebody else that they know that may have experienced what you experienced. But yeah, the the body language, I I noticed I'm doing it right this very moment. The listeners can't, (laughs) see me, but I've got my hands crossed. I, I'm just a little chilly and cold. That happens often. I'm, I'm always cold, but I cross my hands in front of my chest and I, you know, it's kind of a barrier, right? Like, or defensive sort of look. Yeah. yeah. All those things. Yeah. Yeah. Nonverbal body language, nonverbal communication is a good way to shut someone off. You can, you can actually look at uh, people talking. If uh, you know, two people are talking and you can look at their body language and one of them has their feet pointed 
so that they can walk away. That's pretty clear that they're not that interested in, in what's going on. You know, arms crossed. You know, Tiffany, whenever I realize I have my arms crossed when talking with a client, the patient, I say, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm actually cold. I have the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm always cold. And so then I try to unfold my arms just to be more open, literally more open. Leaning forward a little bit helps a lot. The smiling, the nodding, the maintaining eye contact. Back to, you know, having the time to engage in a helpful conversation. I encourage people to say, you know, I have something in 15 minutes, but I'd love to talk as we can. And then as the time comes up, say, you know, I do have to get going. Can we continue this? And that's an indication of, of helpfulness. A great example that, that, that was given also. Someone says, you know, confide. I've been having trouble, you know, you know, with my spouse. We're, we're arguing a lot about, about this situation. Oh, I've, yeah, my, my wife and I, we used to argue a lot, but we figured it out. We worked it out. You know, in fact, once we were arguing about whether we should go here or there. And so not listening at all to the person, but rather turning the conversation to themselves. That's, that's a great way. If that's your goal, that's a great way to get someone to, to stop talking about themselves. Interrupting is, is, you know, interrupting always a bad, bad form in a conversation. So that's also something that that you want to avoid doing but you know any you know the, the last another thing that is actually quite unhelpful and this is back to you know probably every husband listening has done this every wife listening has experienced this which is saying to this man who loves you deeply more than life itself itself and you know, I don't want my wife to be in distress and I'm a guy and I know everything. So when she says something is bothering her, I tell her how to fix it, which turns out to be a very, very bad idea because it's saying to someone, well, this is easy. You can fix this by doing this or that or the other thing. And uh, that's really not what people want. We, first of all, Sarah pointed out earlier, we can't fix other people's problems. We just don't have the capacity, you know, and besides which they don't need us to solve their problem. They're working on solving their problem. They might need some simple advice, such as have you thought about talking to a, talking to pastor or talking to a mental health professional, that, that could be useful, but only after you've listened to them and only after you develop some empathy, some understanding of what they're feeling, what they're going through. But to try to solve someone's problem, the, 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 the word that we should never use is the word should. You should do this. You should do that. Mm-hmm. You know, children hear that all the time. You shouldn't have done that. You should do this. You shouldn't have done that. You should do that. And it's just a really, it's a really good way. Again, if that's your goal, it's a really good way to make someone feel like they're just not very smart because what they should do, they haven't done. And obviously there's, there's something wrong with them. So avoid advice giving, avoid interrupting, just simply repeat back 
empathize, take the time to be there with them, follow up, you know, at the end of a conversation, you, you have to end it because you're due someplace. You can say, you know, I'm aware of the time and I need, I, as I said, I need to get going, but I'd really like to keep doing this. You know, when can we, when can we talk some more? Um, all of this, of course, should be happening in private, especially with someone in, in, we don't have these conversations in front of others, obviously. So yeah, everything, everything that you guys had talked about, everything that you mentioned back, back to the point, you know, I think people do instinctively know what others need. And I want it, it, you know, if, if listeners get one thing out of this particular episode, it's that you do have the capacity to be helpful, to help someone in emotional distress, you know, just, just do, do the, the better things and avoid some of the, the unhelpful things, you know, listen, you know, there's the, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. So we should listen more than we talk, maybe twice as much as we talk and just listening and not being, not, not, you know, not being ashamed of them or not trying to tell them, oh, I'm implying this is easy. Just do this, you know, do these things and the conversation will, will certainly be helpful to them more than you will know helpful to them. I find when I'm going into a conversation where I wish to be helpful that, it's always good for me to remember that this is a care for another soul, that this is um, a person for whom Christ died, and I'm, I'm here to be a helpful sister in Christ, whether they're Christian or, or not. You know, certainly I, I pray for God to give me wisdom and to, to guide my actions in the conversation so that I can be helpful to a person. And, and I suspect that others do the same. And, you know, as we, we think about soul care, you know, you're, in your book, you we're really un- unpacking and finding so much wisdom and how Dr. Martin Luther advised people and how he had helpful conversations. Do you have any examples from Luther that can illustrate some of the application of how we've been talking about helpful conversations? I think there's a couple of, a couple of good ones, you know, the Cordatus at, you know, records the day. You know, he was one of the folks that talked about what Luther said at his table, table talk. But he also provided what I think is just a wonderful observation of, you know, he watched Martin Luther and he said, Martin Luther did this stuff all the time when he talked to someone who was having some ailment. And he said, Luther would bend down or even kneel down to be at the person's level rather than towering over them and making them literally feel, you know, smaller, maybe less significant, but he would bend down to their level such an important thing with children, as as most as many people know, and ask them how they're doing, and listen to them, and ask them about uh, you know what what, is, what are the doctors trying to do, what are the physicians trying to do for you, and mostly he would just listen, and then he would say you know I will. Now he's a busy guy, so we can imagine that he would. He wasn't a physician, so he wasn't going to say, well, you shouldn't take that drug or medication, you just take this one. But rather he would say, you know, well, go, well, you know, keep doing what they say and I will pray for you and I hope things turn out well. And, you know, Luther's, you know, he, he was just very empathic and compassionate in that regard. 
you know, he, he was also able, and I think this is maybe part of a helpful conversation as well. Luther had so many personal experiences with emotional distress. You know, he said about himself for years, I suffered from melancholy. I was often gloomy. And, you know, the, one of the interesting things to learn about Luther, which I really hadn't known prior to that, was the physical ailments that Luther had. I mean, the, the poor guy had had an uh, open ulcer on one of his legs, an open wound was one, on one of his legs. He had, you know, what we would call severe tinnitus in his ears, you know, migraines. He's always writing other people about kidney stones. Just saying, I say in the book, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost comical that people sometimes refer to him as crabby. But, you know, who wouldn't be crabby going through everything he went through? But Luther shared these with other people, I think, you know, partly, largely, I think he wanted them to pray for him, you know, pray for these ailments that are afflicting me. But I think he also was very purposeful in letting people know, especially about his emotional experiences, his experiences with emotional distress, wanted people to recognize that he also, you know, all, 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 all of mankind suffers and he himself was not immune to suffering, you know, as, as these people with depression, with anxiety themselves suffer. He wanted them to know that he was with them, which is a form of empathy, but also just a form of just, you know, encouraging the person to realize again, you know, you're not alone in that what you're going through is not strange or unusual or shameful. Um, it's just part of fallen human condition. We have just about a minute left to wrap up. We've talked about we've talked about paying attention to time when when preparing for a helpful conversation, acknowledging if you have a time limit or setting a reasonable time limit. You know, I, I need to be somewhere in fifteen minutes. Would you like to talk now or schedule a time that we could talk? So being aware of time. We've talked about body language or uh, nonverbals and how that can make a difference when thinking about our posture and what our physical presence can mean to someone else when trying to have a helpful conversation. With just about a minute left, anything else we need to think about when preparing for a helpful conversation? I think the, I, I like to use the example of, you know, if we see someone in church and they're walking on crutches, or we, we know someone is going through cancer treatment and we see them at church you know, the, the, the person is probably going to literally be surrounded by a crowd of people asking, how are you doing? What happened? How is treatment? How are you doing? Saying, I'll pray for you. But, you know, we are not afraid of suffering. We're not afraid of illness. We are not afraid of death. We don't seek it. We don't look forward to it necessarily. But we know that heaven awaits us. Let's take the same attitude, you know, and this is not something you necessarily express verbally, but it's something that will be shown in your face and your body language and in your willingness to talk to someone. Same thing with regard to emotional problems. This is just part of suffering in this fallen world, suffering. This is the suffering that Moses went through, Abraham went through, David went through. There's a, an entire book called Lamentations, you know, 
Peter, Paul, I mean, all of, all of these, all of these fathers of faith and, and, and women in the Bible as well, but all of these people spoke directly with God. And yet that did not keep them from, from suffering emotional problems. Let us treat, let us think about emotional problems in the same way that we do medical problems. They're not our fault. This is not something that is due to weak faith. This is not something that the person has somehow deserved. Rather, this is just part of what it means to be human and use the same attitude, take the same attitude as you would towards someone with a physical problem or a medical problem. Approach them, ask them, be interested in what they say, take the time with them, welcome them and love them, love them as you do everyone else in your church. Our guest today, Dr. Stephen Saunders, Distinguished Professor of Psychology at Marquette University and author of Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today from Concordia Publishing House. Dr. Saunders, thank you for joining us again today. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Tiffany Manor. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store.